echo what's already been said concerning how glad we are to have you here today and be a part of starting off a new year here at East Brainerd. We're starting a new series of study during our Sunday mornings together called Mindbender. And some of your minds were bent just when you walked in this morning, received a glory, praise, and honor, and there was no order of service on the front, right? And you looked at that and your mind just went, like, how am I going to know what's going to happen next? You're not. You have no idea. You have no clue. Isn't that cool? There's no order of service on here because of the picture. And the picture is on here for a purpose because I want to bend your mind today. And I want to bend your mind to begin with by just stating a fact. And that fact is that the picture of the two tables that are there on the front of your glory, praise, and honor, go ahead and look at it if you haven't already, those pictures that are there of those two tables, they're the same tables. They're the same tabletops. And you look at that and say, no, there is no way. The one on the left, that, that table is, is, it's longer and it's skinnier. And, and the one there on the right, I, I know those are not the same tables. I was talking with our staff earlier in the week about this very idea. And, and Marco, I've just got to throw you under the bus today. Mar- Marco was an unbeliever, just want you to know. I mean, Marco, he could have been from Missouri. I mean, he just said, show me. I've got to be able to see this. And so I want to show you. Watch the video as it proves what I've already told you is fact. Go to the next one, guys. What do you know? I mean, what do you absolutely positively know for sure? I'm Dan Trometer, and I'm going to show you something that is not a magic trick, but it's one of the most magical things I've ever seen. It's a drawing by this guy, Roger Shepard. He's a cognitive scientist, and he created this drawing. If I was to ask you what this drawing depicts, I guess you'd say it's two tables. One is long and skinny, the other is short and squat. I know that's what I would have said. But what if I was to tell you that the tabletops are actually both exactly the same size and shape? Don't believe me? Let's take a closer look. I'll color in the top surface of just the left table. Now, I'll animate that shape to rotate through space and on to the other tabletop. And you can see the tables are indeed exactly the same size and shape. Unless you've seen this drawing before, you're probably thinking, nice try, Photoshop boy. So let's take a look at it in the real world. Here's that exact same drawing and a little extra red piece that perfectly matches the top surface of the left table. No trickery. the tables are exactly the same. Isn't that fascinating? Before you were told otherwise, 
you knew those tables were different. It's a brilliant optical illusion that illustrates the idea that sometimes the things that we know for sure are wrong. Knowing is a great feeling. It gives us confidence and a feeling of certainty. But when knowing comes from a place of assumption, it can lead to real problems. For example, you're probably assuming right now that because I'm wearing glasses, I must have poor eyesight, when in fact I have perfect eyesight and these glasses have no lenses. <laughs> now that's an assumption that carries no risk. There's no downside to that. But sometimes the assumptions we make keep us stuck in our problems. Because if we think we know the answer, well, we don't even think of new solutions. The challenge is to continually ask ourselves, am I sure? To really question the things that we think we know versus the assumptions we're making. Ask yourself, what evidence do I have for this belief? Right? I saw some of you, even with the video, you're going, nope, don't believe it. Nope, just some of that hocus pocus fooey stuff. I don't think it's true. It is. Shepherds turning tables are this great way to show how that our mind actually pay, plays tricks on us. Your eyes, your retinas actually see these two tables as being the same. But when that information is relayed into your neural cortex, what takes place is that the two-dimensional object there on your paper is turned into a three-dimensional object and you see it how you think it should be in real time and in real space. This is an example of what Bananji and Greenwald in their book Blind Spot call mind bugs. They say, what is a mind bug and do I have them? And if I have them, how do I get rid of them? Well, you definitely have them because mind bugs are ingrained habits of thought that lead to errors in how we perceive, remember, reason, and make decisions. And these mind bugs, they begin as simple misconceptions, but they gradually begin to grow out of control. It's like a computer virus in your mind. And as it begins to grow and as it begins to take hold, more and more things become skewed in the learning system. For example, a child learns early on in school that in order to add, you line up the numbers on the right. And that works well until the child gets to around fourth grade and all of a sudden decimals come into the equation. And the mind is blown. Mind bugs. A little bit more close to home though with some more sinister results. See, mind bugs influence our tendency to think in stereotypes. Let me give you a quick experiment. I'm going to show you some things on the slides that are coming up, and, and you're going to get an idea or a category, and underneath is going to be two different types of names or groups or descriptions, and I want you to decide which name or group best fits with the category. It's just an instant thing. You don't have to say anything out loud. Your mind bug will tell you the, your answer. Look at the first one, leadership. Is that a male or female trait? How about musical talent? 
African Americans or Native Americans? Legal expertise. Do you go to a Jew or a Christian? How about assessing someone's math ability? Asians or whites? Criminality. Italians or Dutch? See how your mind bugs have already been eating away at your, your system? Oh, one more just for fun. National champions. <laughs> you see, these mind bugs influence all kinds of things in our life. And it definitely influences the way that we understand Scripture. It's that non-existent innkeeper that's in the story of the birth of Jesus. It's the way we believe that the Bible teaches that God helps those who helps themselves, or that cleanliness is next to godliness. And it helps to explain why we have such a difficult time wrapping our minds around the subject of grace. It's difficult. And as soon as you see grace there on the screen, automatically your mind responds. And some of you, you're already yawning, going, great, another grace lesson. Others of you, you're right now filled with some tension because you're saying, great, another grace lesson. And there are some of you here this morning that the adrenaline is starting to pump because you're going, great, another grace lesson. Let's be honest. We have a hard time wrapping our mind around the heart of grace. Some of you grew up rarely hearing any lessons on grace. And when you did, it seemed that grace was always in conflict with obedience. Some of you grow concerned every time there's a discussion that centers on grace because you're always afraid of that mythical slippery slope that everyone is going to be sliding down into sinful license. Some of you who are here today believe that grace is for everyone but you. And there are others who think that grace is just too good to be true. And some of you have heard so much about grace, and you've read so much about grace, and your podcasts are all filled with grace, and you think you have just a complete understanding, and yet I'm afraid that we've missed it. I really am. I think we just have too many mind bugs running around on the inside, keeping us from the heart of grace. And here's why I feel confident about this. You see, I hear how we quote Scripture. And I hear how we quote Ephesians 2 and verse 8 when we say, it is by grace that you have been saved, and we put the emphasis through faith, lest anyone dare think that we are a grace-only people, as if there's something bad about that. I've seen how we expect grace from God for our shortcomings, but then we withhold it from others and become very happy with our double standards. We trust grace to cover our moral failings, but we're convinced that any change in our theological understanding will automatic forfeit our salvation. And you know what? I've just seen too many saints who, when they're facing the end of their life, are filled with doubt and wonder and they ask the question, 
Have I been good enough? Have I done enough? I've just seen too many graceless experiences. And that's why this scripture that you're about to see from Hebrews has been heavy upon me. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. The word translated misses there could also be translated as fails to receive or fails to obtain or or fails to experience. The Hebrews writer says, listen, don't miss it. Make sure that everyone is able to come in contact with it. Have it pour over them. Make sure it's something that they are able just to swim in and to be engulfed by. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. You see, no matter what, you, what your experience with grace has been, my prayer is that over the weeks to come, as we have these conversations, these grace conversations together, that our minds are going to be renewed to the very heart of grace and that we're going to experience it as we never have before. But I'm going to be honest with you right up front. I am going to intentionally challenge some of the mind bugs that we have. And some of the biases that we already have, those preconceived biases on this particular subject. For some of you, this is going to be a very freeing time period. And it's going to be something that you are going to look forward to week after week after week. Others of you, you're going to be left in conflict with yourself. As your mind is going to be bent around the scripture of God, as you are going to be in conflict with with maybe what you have always thought or perceived or understood about grace and your relationship to it. And then what is actually presented by God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. You see, it's a conversation that we have to have. Because right after the Hebrews author makes this statement, he says, make sure that no bitter root grows to cause trouble and defile many. You see, when we miss grace, a bitter root begins to grow in our life. Now, in the Hebrew culture, any poisonous plant was considered to be or called a bitter plant. And so the author of Hebrews uses this analogy of a bitter root to talk about the fact that when grace is not present in your life, there's a poison that begins to work its magic. Religion without grace is toxic. A relationship without grace is poisonous. A church without grace is ungodly. A heart without grace is hard. The bitter root may be small and slow in its growth, but eventually the poison ends up taking place. So see to it that no one misses the grace of God. I want to bend your mind again this morning. We've already sang amazing grace together. And it's amazing how how many different tunes you can put to the words of amazing grace. You know, you can sing it to the tune of Gilligan's Island, right? And, and um, you, there, there's all, and now you're all, your mind's already doing it, right? Yeah, it is. I know. Amazing grace, how sweet this sound that saved a wretch. Okay, anyway. But we're, we're going to sing this song to a different tune. 
And it's got a few extra words. It's called Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I've asked Derek if he would to, to lead us in the singing of this song so that perhaps you can hear some very familiar words from a different perspective. Derek. Amazing grace, how Yes. 
Father, you are, you are mine, and we are yours. Help us wrap our minds around the heart of your grace. Will you read the following scripture with me, please? Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit. So I've got to let you in on my fear. I'm afraid that even after we engage in our conversations on grace, there won't be any change. I'm afraid that everything is just going to stay the way it is in your life. That we're just going to continue going through the motions and miss out on God's amazing grace. And I say this because, again, of the picture that you see of shepherds turning the tables. See, the fact that you now know that those tabletops are the same does nothing to help you see the reality. I told you, you watched Photoshop Boy give you a great demonstration. And yet your eyes continue to see the tables as different. The mind's automatic understanding of the data is confident, and and this is what Shepard says about his own drawings, that any knowledge or understanding of the illusion that we may gain at the intellectual level remains virtually powerless to diminish the magnitude of the illusion. See, even though we know, we can't see. And that's my fear. My fear is that we grow in knowledge about grace, but we see no corrective effect. I've been praying about this this week. And for many weeks leading up to today. And something that I've been thinking on is is the fact that, you know what, I've sat in a lot of classes and taking notes on grace. And I've memorized a lot of scriptures on grace. And I've sung amazing grace until I'm blue in the face. And I've got numerous books in my library about grace, but do you know what's taught me the most about grace? My own story. And the story of of others who have experienced grace. You see, we trust in what we have experienced. And our experience gives meaning to our knowledge. Paul uses the word grace over 100 times when he writes in scripture to other Jesus followers trying to get their minds wrapped around the heart of grace over 100 times. And he writes that word 
each and every time out of his own experience. Because listen to what he writes to Timothy. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. He doesn't say I read about grace. He doesn't say I heard somebody preach on grace. He doesn't say I sang a song about grace. He says grace has been poured out on me. He says, I'm swimming in it. I'm covered by it. It's what I live by. I know nothing except for the grace of God. This has been my experience. And because of that, he would continue. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of who, Paul says, I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, I'm an example. I'm an example of what a grace-filled life looks like. And he writes about his experience, he writes about grace because he wants us to understand that we too can have our own grace experience. He wants us to understand that our story can be grace-filled. And he said, well, how is that? Come back next week and, and the week after and the week after that because that's what we're going to be discussing in the weeks that are to come. And I don't know if our minds will ever be able to truly understand the grace of God and that's all right. There's a lot of things that I don't understand that I receive benefit from. Copy machines, pfft, I have no idea how those things work. Cell phones, Twinkies. I mean, how do they get the white stuff into the nice little yellow? Okay, that's just me. But perhaps the most important thing is not that we understand grace but that we experience it. And we can't miss it because to miss grace is to miss everything. You see, if I miss grace, then I miss salvation. If I miss grace, then I miss eternal life. If I miss grace, I miss forgiveness. If I miss grace, I miss freedom. If I miss grace, I miss a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And if I miss grace, I miss compassion for the poor. If I miss grace, then I miss justice for the oppressed. If I miss grace, then I miss Jesus. If I miss grace, then I miss God. And I know it's a crazy thought. It's a crazy thought, but I just want you to know this morning that you can actually experience the very grace of God today if you are willing to believe that Jesus Christ is that grace, that Jesus is salvation, that Jesus is eternal life, that Jesus is forgiveness, that Jesus is freedom. That Jesus is the second chance. That Jesus is compassion for the poor and justice for the oppressed. That Jesus is 
God. And if that's your belief this morning, then I want to invite you to come and to call on the name of grace. To come and confess the name of grace. To come and be baptized into that grace. Because if you miss grace, then you miss everything. May God bless us as we study the heart of grace. Maybe you need to come this morning because you realize that the one thing that you need more than anything else is the grace of God. We encourage you to do so as together we stand and sing.